This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 19. He said, we're going to give this a try because Tom thinks it's important. But if anybody gets slower, you're fired. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength Coach Scott Caulfield. With me today, my guest founder of the National Strength and Conditioning Association and Associate Athletic Director for Sports Performance at Nebraska, Boyd Epley. Coach, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Scott. Glad to have you on, and we're here at the 40th anniversary of the National Conference. Pretty exciting. How has it been for you? Has it lived up to its expectations? I think it was a great conference. How does it compare uh, for you? Talk about how really it's is this what you envisioned from the first one when you guys started this? Did you ever think that it would be like it is now? Not at all. There's no way I could have ever imagined the growth of the NSCA. We started with 76 people. We had one female, Kathy Calder, and 75 men. And that included the equipment company folks that had brought their displays. Wow. So it was a small beginning, and I don't think anyone could have ever seen the growth and the fact that we now have like 50,000 certifications out there. Yeah, it's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. It's a, so how did it really start? What, where did you and whoever else come up with this idea and decide to get together for this first one? Where did that idea come from? Well, it was uh, a guy named Boyd. <laughs> His name was Boyd McWhorter, and he was the Southeast Conference Commissioner. He and I were attending a function before the Alabama-Nebraska game. He saw my name tag. I saw his name tag. They both said Boyd. And so there aren't that many people with that first name. Some people have that as a last name. But So we started talking to each other. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm, I'm the strength coach for Nebraska. And he said, do, do we have strength coaches in the Southeast Conference? He had no idea what that position was or what it meant or uh, what it took to be one. But he was real interested in it. And I realized right then that we had some work to do to bring uh, identification to what we do as a profession. Because we were already strength coaches uh, around the country, but no one really knew who we were, what we did. So I decided to put together a directory and the staff at Nebraska helped me do that. And we sent out thousands of letters and, and got back the information on each strength coach and what equipment they had at their facility and put the directory out. And once it was out, um, I got a call from two strength coaches that were friends of mine, uh, Jim Williams at Arkansas and Pete Martinelli from, who he was at New Mexico at that time, he was later at Oklahoma. But those guys were out drinking somewhere and uh, decided to give me a call and razz me about this directory because they said they didn't think it was enough. We, they said, we need to get together and, and be able to uh, share ideas and discuss training methods. And we basically need a conference and an association. And oh, by the way, we want you to do the work. <laughs> so I wasn't too keen on taking on that project because the directory itself was a lot of work for me. I was running the Nebraska Strength Program and had all these sports to train. And I had my hands full like any other strength coach. But I thought it was important enough 
pull it together. And so we had our first conference and they elected me president and executive director. And I quickly hired a guy named Ken Contra as assistant executive director to do the work. <laughs> and uh, he did a great job. And um, the rest is history, as they say. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it was called the National Strength Coaches Association originally. Where, when did you guys decide to change the name? How that? Well, I, I have the date on the top, tip of my tongue. It was May 14, 1981. We were in Los Angeles at the conference, and we we just decided at that point that we didn't have enough strength coaches to really make this this uh, this organization uh, financially feasible. And so we opened the door to athletic trainers and researchers and and whoever had an interest in strength and conditioning by changing the name to the National Strength and Conditioning Association. We kept the same letters, but it used to be about strength coaches and that opened the door for researchers and everyone else that had an interest. Very cool. And we talked about this a little bit before, so you... um you mentioned the the name strength coach and how you talked to this guy and nobody really knew what that was. So where did the, that vernacular for the naming of the title come from? Well, we kind of coined the term strength coach. Uh, when I started at, at Nebraska, weight training was the term and I was a weight trainer. I didn't really like that. I thought that was more of a fitness kind of a concept. People that maybe teach weight, uh, physical education, weight training classes. I think that's maybe where that fits. So weight training to me was fitness, and and um, I thought we had uh, strength and power, we had speed and agility. So we kind of thought maybe that should be strength and conditioning. That you know you do your your strength and power. That's the strength, and then the speed and agility was the conditioning. Yeah. And it seemed to fit, but. When I first started this NSA organization, I got a a letter from the head of a physical education organization, and he criticized us for calling ourselves strength coaches. He thought we should be called fitness coaches. And I didn't buy that. I thought the strength coaching thing was much better. But looking back on it today, uh, we might have made a mistake. It, It might have been better if we started out as performance coaches because ultimately that's what we do. We improve performance and um, we measure performance. But we're strength coaches and uh, it seems to have stuck. Yeah, no, I think it works. And yeah, performance is kind of a title some people are changing to or athletic performance and sports performance. Um, And I know some people that'll listen to this have probably heard the story, but not all. Probably there's a lot of new coaches that have never heard the story, but why don't you just tell us the story about how you became into that position at Nebraska initially? Well, I was a pole vaulter. Uh, I wasn't uh, headed in a career for strength training at all. I was probably going to be a physical education teacher because I was a physical, physical education major and in their department. But I had an injury, um, and at the time, the doctors thought it was kind of a major injury, and it ended my career. I found out later that it wasn't as bad an injury. I didn't need surgery, and a few years later, I found someone that actually corrected the problem, and uh, it wasn't that serious at all. But they thought it was at the time, so they ended my career, didn't know what to do with me, and asked if I 
would just help the other injured athletes in the weight room because I, I had been lifting and they had seen these other athletes kind of following me around. So um, I did that and it caught on and I took it serious and I would get paid $2 an hour for two hours a day, three days a week. But I, instead of uh, just taking it for what it was, a couple hours a day, I came in and worked full days. Mm. And I took it serious. I treated it as a, as a real serious job. And it caught on like wildfire. And Nebraska's success changed uh, in, immediately. Nebraska had been doing a lot of endurance training. And they were headed in the wrong direction to be a, a, a real powerful football program. They were making some mistakes and just overtraining, and the athletes had lost 10 to 15 pounds per person, and their season was six and four, when um, they had been a pretty powerful team before all this training. Well, in the second year, they went six and four. It was alarming, and they were the head coach was. There were rumors that he was going to be replaced. So his assistant was Tom Osborne. Bob Devaney's assistant was Tom Osborne. And Tom had noticed these injured players that I was working with. As they came back to practice, they were actually stronger. They weren't doing that endurance training, and they were physical. And he liked it. And came, he called me and asked if I would come over to his office. And during that visit, he asked if I would train the whole team. And uh, I said, well, we don't, have, we don't have enough equipment. This room is not big enough to handle. We could only get about eight or 10 people in there at once. He said, well, there's a wall there that separates a film room from this little weight room area. We could knock that wall down and you'd have plenty of space. I said, well, then we wouldn't have enough equipment. And he goes, well, can you help us with that? And I said, well, sure. He said, well, how soon can you uh, bring me a list? And I said, tomorrow, I'll bring you a list tomorrow. So I did, I wrote down some basic things that I thought they needed, um, squat racks and benches and things that, uh, now I didn't add a lot of uh, dumbbells or pulleys or, or, or any, any supplemental type things, just the basics. So I came in and I, the next day, and he was excited to see me. And I handed him the list and he goes, this is, this is it, right? And I go, yeah. And, uh, he hands it to the secretary and said, order this. <laughs> wow. And I go, that was pretty easy. You know? <laughs> that, was, that went pretty well. I said, coach, I forgot to bring the second page. <laughs> he laughed. He's pretty sharp. You know? He laughed and he said, okay, bring me the second page tomorrow. <laughs> so I went back and I added pulleys and I added some dumbbells and, and some different things. I brought them back the next day. And uh, he says, now this is it, right? <laughs> I said, for now. For now. <laughs> and uh, he handed it to that secretary again. He said, order this. And then he turned to me and he says, okay, now we need to go see Bob. And I said, Bob? And he goes, yeah, Bob Devaney, the athletic director and head coach. <laughs> I said, okay. So we go into Bob's office. And Bob Devaney is sitting there in his big leather, red leather chair. And I'm shaking. <laughs> And Tom just says, Boyd thinks we should have the whole football team lift weights. And then they both looked at me, and I don't remember what I said because I was scared to death. Yeah. My legs are shaking, and 
somehow I must have said that it would help his players be stronger, faster, or something that, that would help them win more games. I, I really don't remember what I said, but I remember what he said. He said, we're going to give this a try because Tom thinks it's important. But if anybody gets slower, you're fired. <laughs> I remember that real well. Clear as day. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And obviously, uh, five national titles and almost 50 years later, apparently nobody got slower. <laughs> how, much, uh, how much did your... Obviously, you learned a lot. You evolved as a coach. How much... How basic was that first program with those first guys in that? Well, you know, I really didn't you know. have any resources. I didn't have the NSC. I didn't right, have right. seminars or clinics. <laughs> I, had, I had nothing. There was no uh, essentials text. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was searching for anything that I could find that would put me in the right direction. I went to the department chairman of physical education. His name was Dr. Carl Weir. And I, I said, you know, I, I, I've got this... Uh, this opportunity, and I, I think it's a real opportunity, and I don't want to screw this up. And so how am I going to show this Bob Devaney that these players are actually getting faster and, and they're better, and so I don't lose this opportunity? He says, well, I think you ought to measure uh, the sergeant jump test, which is, has now become called the vertical jump. Okay. And uh, some people were calling it the jump reach back then. And so that was one of the tests. But I added all seven or eight or nine different tests because I didn't know which tests would really identify true potential. Uh, we had all kinds of tests in there that we yeah. don't have in there anymore. Yeah. But we've now settled on three tests. Yeah. The 10-yard dash, the pro agility run, and the vertical jump. But in addition to that, this Dr. Weir suggested that I try to have these players have good attendance. And the way to do that was to have them register for a class. So he made me an instructor and these football players signed up for this class. And that meant they had to have attendance. And so they had to come to get their grade. And so they're, by having attendance, you know, you come and work out, they, you're gonna make gains. So it worked pretty darn well and um, Nebraska went from a six and four season the year before we started to a nine and two season, and wow. then the, and then the next year we won the national championship, and again the next year we won the yeah, national championship. That's pretty huge. That's awesome. That's awesome, and it's, and and it kind of shows too a testament that you were looking for that collaboration with the scientists, with the ex, you know, with the. Um, people that knew about different things that you didn't even back then and you've continued to do that today and maybe talk a little bit about how much that's evolved and what you guys are doing in Allen, well, Nebraska. You know, I have Mike Arthur on my staff now and he's uh, he's a one he's a person that keeps me on track and reads Bill Kramer's research or Mike Stone's research and so forth and, and we have always done that. But he pointed out to me just the other day that we were having periodization back in the early 70s when it hadn't even, be, hadn't even been called that. Yeah, yeah. So we knew we couldn't train as heavy in, in season. Yeah. We were the first school to lift weights in season. And then we were the first to have a training program in the summer. We had summer conditioning. So those kinds of things gave us a, a tremendous advantage. 
That's awesome. Um, yeah, and it's just incredible to see how it, that the growth of that within Nebraska, within the industry. Um, there's obviously, uh, you know, you had one female at that first meeting. There's obviously, you know, more female strength coaches now than there have been in the past. Um, but, you know, still not as many, obviously, as men. But what kind of what have you done, you know, to promote strength and conditioning as a career for women as well? You know, I've uh, supported women from day one. We made sure that we had doors open for women at the first national conference. The same with my strength coaching at Nebraska. When we built uh, the West Stadium Strength Complex, I built a locker room with uh, seven lockers in it for women. And there weren't any women strength coaches at the time. Because yeah. I knew they would be coming. And uh, Courtney Carter actually was the first female strength coach for Nebraska. And Rachel Adams at Texas A&M. And so there are a lot of females that have followed, but females have had a kind of a tough schedule in terms of athletics. Facilities for men were not designed for women for many years. Mm -hmm. Nebraska had a training table in 1938. Wow. Women were not allowed to eat at it huh. for 50 years. Wow. The building that the men trained in at Nebraska called the Schulte Fieldhouse, women were not allowed in the building. Hmm. The students at Nebraska lifted in the Coliseum building. That Coliseum building, the weight room had access through the men's locker room. So there were no women allowed to lift there. Yeah. I had an opportunity to correct all those things at Nebraska because I got involved with the facilities and I also taught student weight training classes. So women were allowed to take those classes. In fact, that's where I met my wife. Yeah, nice. One of those classes, yeah. she, I was their instructor and married her a couple of years after that. The athletes, we actually brought them in through the back door, through the exit to lift in the weight room until we got the building changed to where they had proper access. So I've been a supporter of women and women's athletics for many many years that's fantastic and now you know at the 40th anniversary of national we just had andrea hoodie win the impact award you know the other biggest award besides the boyd upley lifetime achievement award and she was the first woman only the sixth person to ever win the award at all so how cool is that wow. and also a new president and a new female president yeah this is a this is a really exciting time and a really exciting uh and three females on the board of directors now with our member at large as well. So really great times. Um, <coughs> strength and conditioning profession, you know, the, the coaching lifestyle can be tough, long hours, uh, moving for different jobs. You know, when you first start out, the pay might not be that great. What advice do you have to young coaches uh, to balance work and personal life and just to, you know, any kind of specific roadblocks to avoid? Well, your time is the problem. And the way the athletic programs work today, it's even tougher than when I was active strength coach on the floor. 
way I started it was we had the weight room open from 12 till 6 p.m. So the mornings were set for meeting with the coaches and meeting with my own coaches uh, and planning, building, designing, and all that was done in the mornings. And then the strength coaching was from 12 to 6, and we ate and we went home. So it was a little easier for me to have a kind of a normal family life in the evening. Today, for some reason, the nation has decided that we're going to lift at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And so then athletes uh, come throughout the day. There are sports that train in the afternoon, in the morning, it's all over the place, and even late in the evening. And a strength coach might be there 14, 15 hours instead of a normal workload, like a normal job would be, you know, 9 to 5 or 8 to 4 or whatever. It's not normal, so I'm not sure how to fix that. Yeah. Except that I don't, I don't agree that athletes should be training early in the morning. They need to sleep, especially yeah. college athletes. Yeah. And it's not working that way. Yeah. Well, and I know I think they've made some. I know some teams have. I don't know if it was an NCAA rule, but there is. I think there was a certain time that you can't make them train. You know, some schools were getting them up at five in the morning. I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore. I think there's maybe at six or whatever, but. You know, because, yeah, it was like these guys are obviously staying up and doing schoolwork and stuff, and you can't keep them, give, you know, keep When them I was first got married, I, I would uh, come home and eat. My wife would make dinner, and then I would go back to work. And uh, after about a year of that, she said, no more. You come home, you can bring your work home with you, yeah. Yeah. but don't go back. Yeah, yeah. And so I was a, a workaholic, basically, right, right. and was just into that routine. But for her, I decided to change that. And so, so now I've come home. I have a little office at home. I still do my work, yeah. but I'm right there. And, uh, and another thing is when you have children, children dictate right, <laughs> that right. you have yeah. got to be there for them. <laughs> yeah. and, and if you don't show up at their soccer games or something, right, it's right. a real serious infraction. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you've got to, if you have children, you've got to take time for them. Yeah, you got to set some boundaries, whether that's yeah stopping at a certain time or a certain not answering email on the weekend or whatever it might be, making sure you can get to that game, yeah. Uh, you've had a lot, so much success in your career and achievements. Uh, what what achievement are you most proud of and what, what do you really want to be remembered for? Well... You're right. I've been given a lot of awards I probably don't deserve, but because I was the first one in the profession, basically, uh, I've had had a lot of uh, opportunities to receive awards. The one award that probably means the most to me is is the Lifetime Achievement Award that the NSA has. They gave it to me in 1993 or so, and then later on the board of directors named it after me. And so now when I come to a conference and I hear that award be presented and, and it has my name and it, it's something that I think after I'm dead and gone that will keep my name alive through history like Alvin Roy has an award yeah. named after yeah. him and so every year we hear his name and um, it's a chance to keep that legacy alive I think that's that's something that makes me feel good yeah and I guess it's important to me so makes me feel good yeah that's great that's so cool um now we've we've got a quote on the 
in the weight room at the NSCA headquarters, and we've got it, we've seen it on the back of T-shirts that you've said often. The great ones adjust. Where did one? Where did that come from? But also, why is that? Why is that mantra or that thought process of adaptability and flexibility so critical for strength and conditioning coaches? Well, it's critical for anyone. All through the day, you have situations come up uh, and decisions to make, and how you adjust to what's what you're dealing with is uh, is a matter of life or death, really. How you succeed. And, um, to where it came from was a track coach. Um, I was in California at a track meet, and the assistant wasn't the head track because he was off working with some high jumpers or someone but I was at the pole vault and um, I had missed twice and in the pole vault you get three tries at a height and if you miss all three you're done well this was the opening height and I had missed twice and I had one chance left and I it wasn't looking too good <laughs> because the first two efforts weren't very good and this coach came over to me and he goes, what is wrong with you? Because I, I was normally capable of yeah. jumping that height. I said, well, the, wind, the wind's in my face and, and I can't get my grip. And so when you don't get your grip right, yeah. you run down there and then your steps aren't right. Yeah. If your steps aren't right, it's kind of dangerous. Yeah. As you, as you uh, take off the ground, your foot has to be in the right spot yeah. or it can whip you up in the air yeah. wrong and you can really get hurt because yeah. I did get hurt many times broke my yeah. leg several yeah. times doing uh -huh. so he just looked at me and said the great ones adjust and walked off <laughs> and you know I thought the wind is the same for these other pole rollers too right and I better darn well adjust yeah. yeah and so I went down and made that height made the next height and ended up uh, doing really well in that competition Wow. and set a new school record and so forth and ended up breaking the National Junior College pole vault record. And I credit that coach for forcing me to think, look, you got to deal with this. He didn't tell me how. He right. just said, right. you got to adjust. Figure it out, yeah. So that stuck with me, and I used it every day, multiple times a day, and you've heard me say it yeah. many times, yeah. and anyone that's been around me has heard me say the great ones adjust yeah. several times a day. Yeah. It's such a great quote. It's like you said, it applies to anybody and everybody in the world. Oh, it's incredible. Um, you've seen a lot of changes over these 50 years in strength and conditioning. What, um, what I guess, trend or direction most concerns you and what, what one are you kind of most positive about? Well, I'm excited that the NC2A has created legislation to require certified strength coaches. You know, as an association, Tom Beckley was a, a big part of getting certification started and underway and deserves a lot of credit for that. And so now, August 1st of 2015, the NC2A required it. The thing that I... I'm kind of disappointed in is that athletic directors around the country uh, in at the college level, which I'm most familiar with, some of them allow their sport coaches 
to dictate strength and conditioning programming. At Nebraska, we don't have that situation. Our athletic director and uh, the administration there supports what the Inter-Association Task Force recommended in that the strength coach presents the strength program to the sport coach. And the sport coach can certainly uh, suggest things and, and have comments and make suggestions, but it's the strength coach that dictates the uh, periodization, the reps and sets, the exercises to bring about the changes that the coach is looking for. So I'm really pleased that that's happening correctly at Nebraska, and I'm not sure it's happening that way around the country. Right, right. I think Nebraska's a little ahead of the curve on that, yeah. but that's the way it should be. Yeah, and you know, we've, uh, you know, you started the ball rolling and we have continued to run with it with the registered strength and conditioning coach distinction. Um, talk a little bit about why the RSCC program is so important and how it's kind of differentiated so many coaches, you know, as it experienced. A lot of people don't understand the RSCC, what it stands for, what it is, or why you would need it. It's not really a certification, it's a distinction. And so we have our CSCS, that's the certification, that's the knowledge test. And we have thousands of people that have taken that test, but they're not necessarily strength coaches. So the registry, the RSCC, is a registry of certified strength coaches. You have to be certified, and then you have to identify that you have experience, at least two years of full-time experience, to be in the registry. So if I'm a athletic director looking to hire someone that has experience and knows what they're doing, I'm going to look first for a registered strength coach, not necessarily someone that's just certified. And that's the distinction. So uh, I'm very proud that we have 14 registered strength coaches at Nebraska. That's awesome. Your whole staff required. Major League Baseball has it written into collective bargaining agreement now. So anybody from the double-A level to the major league head strength coach position has to hold it. NBA guys are requiring CSCS now and three years experience. So it's definitely gaining ground. Very exciting to see that. Um, well, we appreciate you being on the show and giving us all this great info to hear about the history and the achievements. I really appreciate it. Well, look forward to seeing you in Charlotte in January at the Coaches Conference. Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to seeing Joe Kinn down there when we go to that conference. That's right. <laughs> Thanks. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.